This is Unconventional Knowledge, the podcast that looks at the information hidden below the surface. Today, our founder and chairman, Prince Michael of Liechtenstein, speaks with tax policy expert Adam Michel to explore the OECD's global tax plan, its impact on economies, and what alternative paths countries might consider. Good morning. And thank you for attending this podcast and this interview. You have an extensive background in tax policy studies, particularly with your work as well as the Cato Institute, but also for the U.S. Congress Joint Economic Committee and the Heritage Foundation. What led you to this focus on taxation? Uh, that's a, a good good place to start. I, I think I sort of fell into the this policy world of uh, sort of tax policy uh, defined pretty broadly in graduate school. Uh, I was paired up to work with a, a scholar that was doing fiscal policy work. He was focusing on tax policy uh, at the time. This was in sort of 2013, 2014 in the in the U.S. context. The tax reform was a particularly hot topic. The United States had one of the highest uh, corporate income tax rates in the developed world, which was motivating the sort of reform discussion. Uh, and so it was a, a, a topic that needed folks to, to work on it. And, and I was uh, sort of available with my, <laughs> with my, free, uh, my free graduate uh, labor. And this is also when I first began to work on issues that I think we're going to get discussed today around the OECD. Uh, the base erosion and profit shifting project was was rolling out. This is the precursor to a lot of the the sort of international tax discussions that are going on now. The inclusive framework and the sort of two pillar proposals. Um, and so this early experience allowed me uh, to sort of see the importance of tax and fiscal policy, and that there's a tax angle to to basically everything. Um, and so the sort of idea that tax economics is critical not only to international development and global investment and trade, but uh, it's also a tool that policymakers rely on during economic crises. Uh, it's a sort of the all-important flip side to government expenditures, uh, been able to work on sort of taxes and healthcare, taxes and education, uh, the intersection of taxes and energy policy. So where, whatever you're interested in, governments either want to tax it or they want to subsidize it through the tax code. Uh, and so these sort of tax questions just come up again and again and again in policy discussions. Yeah, well, in history and also the more recent past, it was taxation was rather a sovereign decision by the different nations. Now, there are supranational organizations like the G20 or uh, now also quite strongly the OECD go in and try to do rather more harmonization of uh, of taxes. And in a recent report for GIS, you analyzed new OECD rules that aim to overhaul the global taxation systems by setting a floor for acceptable corporate tax rates, a minimum tax rate. Uh, this sounds a little bit like a cartel. Could you give us an overview of how these regulations will affect the global economic dynamics? Uh, 
Yes, I think I'll describe what's going on, the specifics of what are going on in, in, a, in a moment. But I think the point that you made uh, at the outset is is really important, that this looks like a sort of global tax cartel and that more recently there's been this push at organizations like the OECD to, to quote unquote, harmonize or create sort of one size fits all rules at a, at a global level. And this is, a, as a historical point, an interesting turn from what these organizations, particularly the OECD, was founded to do or they used to do. They used to, these organizations used to play a pivotal role in constraining uh, the sort of poorer instincts of national governments to double tax income of the same corporation, for example, or restrict global trade flows. Uh, but now these sort of same bodies are have sort of left that uh, that agenda behind and are instead moving uh, are instead encouraging governments to expand their taxing powers and in some ways increasing double taxation and standing in the way of increased global trade so it's a it's a really interesting shift that that we've seen in the last couple of decades uh, a slow one but one that we're i think we're seeing the culmination of now so you asked about the that giving an overview of the regulations that the OECD is proposing and how this will impact global uh, dynamics. There's two big components of the what they're calling the inclusive framework. There's pillar one and pillar two. Pillar one basically redistributes a portion of large multinational companies' profits based on where consumers are instead of where things are value is created, where things are produced. Uh, and then pillar two is the, as a global minimum tax that sets a 15% minimum tax floor um, uh, that, that theoretically countries wouldn't be able to uh, drop below. Pillar one is uh, the more ambitious and longer term project of, of the two pieces. It's, uh, I think it's likely further away from being implemented, but its risks are greater that it will fundamentally upend the way that firms are taxed and uh, and the way that sort of international global taxation is ultimately carried out. But the the focus of our conversation today in my report for GIS is is this pillar two component that is at moving forward at a much quicker rate and likely to be impacting taxpayers um, uh, this year, if not the next couple of years. And this is the 15% minimum tax rate. It's uh, intended to stop tax rate competition, uh, or at least put a floor under it, keeping in, uh, tax rates from falling below 15%. Uh, and it is, uh, in, it's enforced with this Rube Goldberg contraption of new tax measures that the OECD has constructed. The most novel is this a new instrument of uh, basically it's an extraterritorial tax. They call it the UTPR, um, where it allows uh, high tax countries to reach into the board inside the borders of countries that are not compliant with what the OECD thinks is an acceptable tax system to tax business income in other jurisdictions. And so ultimately, this is going to reduce investment. It's going to uh, increase compliance costs. Uh, for both the private sector and for governments, uh, it's gonna it'll, it'll stop tax rate competition. I think uh, at least below that fifteen percent uh, that fifteen percent rate. And as we'll talk about a little bit more, I think it has some other pretty um, noteworthy negative incentives towards incentivizing state competition on other margins, um, like subsidies 
and and sort of opening up Pandora's box of new novel um, extraterritorial tax measures. Yeah, I think it would certainly, and I think the idea is also to curb competition. And uh, this is a bit of a strange philosophy in my view. Normally, you like competition because it forces the different actors to become more competitive and more uh, productive. But this is a bit difficult. But uh, how far do you think the, o- the OECD is progresses in implementing the rules? And will they face some opposition in that way? Yeah, so uh, the Pillar 1 is is pending. We have draft of a multilateral convention Um but the bar for adopting those uh, rules is much higher given the way that they must be sort of coordinated across uh, many different countries. Pillar 2 is already being uh, being implemented. Uh, there's an EU directive to implement the taxes, and countries have already been rolling out their proposals. Uh, we've seen places like Bermuda that historically have not had a corporate income tax say they're going to implement a 15% uh, minimum tax for the first time. I think the big question marks are places like China and the United States. Uh, in the U.S., the uh, Biden administration has been actively engaged in facilitating these OECD rules, but there's a political split where Republicans, particularly uh, the vocal ones, have been in Congress and both the House and the Senate are are opposed to uh, to many pieces of the OECD rules, particularly these extraterritorial measures that uh, that are primarily targeted at the most profitable U.S. companies. Um, the United States is home to the largest portion of multinational headquarters and I think has the most to lose from redistributing these taxing rights uh, around the world. And Republicans are, are, wary, are wary of a lot of those changes. It's not certain, I think, by any means that these rules move forward in exactly the way they're proposed. They're being uh, they're being presented by the boosters at the OECD, uh, the Biden administration, sort of other the EU, other folks around the world that that these rules are, are here to stay. They're exactly uh, they're, they're, they're marching forward just as intended. But I, the, the consensus is, I believe, much more fragile than that. Uh, and that if the United States uh, in a future under a future administration came out, for example, very strongly against the, the, the OECD rules, the you might see some additional fracturing uh, of, from other countries not wanting maybe implementing portions of, of the OECD uh, proposal, but not all of it, particularly things like the UTPR that is this extraterritorial measure that is particularly um, insidious to to state sovereignty and the ability to set domestic tax rates. Do you think the minimum tax rate might stay with 15% or might, uh, might they, this is maybe a bit looking at the glass uh, board, but um, might be then increased? Yeah, so so I think you, you point out uh, a really important political economy point is once you give sort of central political actors the power to set minimum tax rates, the incentive is always going to be to to increase that that minimum rate. The uh, politicians uh, uh, love to uh, to find new easy sources of additional uh, additional revenue, and I believe that this this contraption that they've devised 
is not going to entirely shut down uh, profit shifting. It's not going to bring in uh, nearly as much revenue as as folks hope it would. And in that eventuality where we still see businesses choosing locations based on tax considerations, we're still in a relatively global economy, there will be new renewed calls for uh, for a inclusive framework 2.0 that would uh, sort of raise these minimum tax rates or come up with new, even more draconian rules, building on the apparatus that they're putting in place right now. So certainly that, uh, as, as you characterize these these efforts early on as a, as a cartel, um, if they're successful at building that cartel, I certainly think we should expect them to try to uh, exert the uh, the power that it'll give them. Let's now look maybe on the other side of the fiscal coin. In light of these developments, what does the future hold for the fiscal policy competition? Will we see a continued trend towards more state subsidies, and what might be the long-term consequences? Yeah, so this is the the crux of the of the issue. The OECD, uh, particularly the the Pillar Two minimum tax, is it is designed to stop states competing on on tax rates. Uh, there's this uh, unfounded fear that it will mitig- it'll, it'll result in an unmitigated race to the bottom, quote unquote, where uh, where b- states are no longer able to raise tax revenue from uh, from from businesses. We haven't seen this in practice. We have seen tax rates uh, come down significantly over time. However, tax revenue has stayed relatively stable, has actually increased a bit um, across the sort of OECD countries uh, in the United States and elsewhere. And so, and this is largely due to the fact that high corporate tax rates are highly inefficient. Um, and if you lowering corporate tax rates brings additional uh, business to your country, uh, allows business to thrive, um, uh, to thrive more, invest more, uh, and you get a sort of additional domestic economic benefits. So this type of competition on tax rates has had significant economic upside for 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 workers, for investors, and for the the sort of fiscal system of domestic countries. Unfortunately, what I think the this new minimum tax is going to do is it's not going to eliminate the incentive to compete, but it's going to move the incentives to compete away from tax rates and to other margins. And what we've seen is that the competition is likely to move to uh, to state subsidies, um, to state aid, to, uh, to uh, refundable tax credits, and to sort of direct payments from governments to encourage businesses to stay or move to their uh, into their jurisdictions, and this 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 that that shift I think is is it going to be a net negative for for the global economy and domestic economies? Let's uh, continue on this way because this amounts to a major shift toward government involvement and really a planned economy. Do you think uh, the long term implications of this policy cha- uh, changes? have been fully thought through, how might uh, this move towards the centralization affect the economy, potentially leading market distortions like bubbles and misallocation of resources? And could it impose limits to innovation even? Uh, 
So, so yes, <laughs> is the is, is the answer to your question. Um, the I think what this is that this move is going to do is it just it will help ensure that the current shift we've seen in a lot of global policy making towards additional industrial subsidies, industrial planning, um, direct subsidization of specific industries uh, and, and types of production will will continue and it's just going to sort of entrench those those trends and we and there's a long long history of industrial policy failing to actually meet its end goals uh the political actors are notoriously bad at picking what the next new technology is going to be and subsidizing it uh in a way that is actually productive for consumers and and long-term growth and so ultimately, this, uh, th- these, these systems that are being set up right now in the United States under the, what they call the Inflation Reduction Act, it's a whole list of green subsidies for very specific types of industries or in a separate law, there is subsidies for, uh, for chip manufacturing, um, uh, computer chip manufacturing, similar moves have been made across the European Union. You've seen Vietnam in response to the OECD deal saying that they would uh, they would shift uh, instead of offering low tax rates, they would start uh, they would find other ways to encourage businesses to stay within their jurisdiction. Uh, all of these things puts put politicians at the center of business decisions instead of market competition and consumer demands. And so we think we're inevitably going to see uh, pretty big um, economic costs to those those decisions, not to mention the fiscal policy cost of of uh, of spending all of this money to subsidize specific industries um, with very little sort of economic upside to show for it. Yeah, I think uh, you mentioned the uh, Inflation Reduction Act in, in the U.S. This caused also quite a discussion in Europe, but the European Union and the European countries have this green economy uh, program, um, which is actually a, a very similar as that, but there it's actually the technocracy setting the standards and not the, the markets, as you said before. Correct. And these sort of these battling plans for who can subsidize which industry the most is is exactly the wrong type of competition that this OECD plan, I think, ultimately will will entrench and and make even worse. It, it, I think it's a trend independent of the OECD minimum tax, but the OECD minimum tax makes it uh, that much more destructive and that much more likely to to continue for the foreseeable future, moving this uh, th- this competition for for new business investment uh, and multinational investment from tax rate competition to subsidy competition. Yeah, this brings us from the more let's say existing one to the let's say newer economy and, and, and newer challenges and. The, to the digital economy, and with the growth and global influence of the digital economy, there's a significant discussion around how it should be taxed, particularly given the OECD's efforts and recent controversies. In your view, what are the key considerations 
that policy key makers should keep in mind when addressing digital taxation. Mostly in Europe, it, it raised a lot of uh, uh, questions, and um, sometimes it sounds also like protective measures as most of the digital providers are outside of Europe. Yeah, so I think that 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 last point is is an insightful one. Most of these the political discussions, particularly motivating the digi- things like digital services taxes, that ultimately pillar one is intended to replace. Although I don't think it actually gets at that uh, goal um, uh, very effectively, are in my view not uh, not based in real tax economics concerns, but are instead, as you mentioned protectionary measures and uh, responding to domestic political incentives whereby there's large firms that are based somewhere else and it's easier to tax other people's stuff uh, rather than the stuff that's being made within your country if anything is being uh, uh, made there uh, to, to significant amounts to tax as the way as is, as is being proposed and so the uh, these digital services taxes act very much like digital tariffs, where they're just taxing the flow of goods that are crossing their border from uh, some of the most profitable American firms in, in many cases. The, so uh, I think often the discussion is not one of sort of high-minded, how do we best conform a global tax system to sort of these evolving um, concerns. However, the uh, sort of the move of di- in the digital economy is something that uh, that corporate taxes do have to contend with. Uh, and I think, if anything, they prime the, the digital, the move, digital sort of increasing significance of the, of the digital economy largely shows that the corporate income tax is a relic of the 20th century when things couldn't move easily across borders, uh, when international capital flows were relatively uh, small. And, and it was easy for countries to simply tax the things that were within their borders. Uh, over the, the last several decades, I think the corporate income tax has been propped up um, over time with increasingly costly, what, they, what we call anti-base erosion measures, things that uh, add new layers of rules saying you can't move this here or if you move that there, uh, we're going to tax it. But ultimately, the the corporate income tax is highly inefficient. It has all of these distortions that we've already uh, talked about, and ultimately doesn't raise all that much revenue for national governments. And so instead of trying to prop up this system that is not well suited to tax the modern economy, I think that policymakers should focus on domestic domestic consumption taxes that are purpose-built to uh, to sort of capture domestic activity, things that are are sold to consumers in the way that they're trying to remake portions of the corporate income tax in in, in really um, uh, uh, in really destructive ways. And so, uh, I would encourage policymakers to uh, to to focus on those those taxes, like value added taxes in the United States, uh, sales taxes, uh, and instead and instead work on cutting business tax rates over time and limiting subsidies through these systems um, so that uh, so that th- the lower the rate, um, the broader the base, the less 
uh, distortion there is creating incentives for businesses to play games with digital assets and transfer pricing and sort of all these other uh, things that you see in the news. So actually, this could, um, let's say, lead to a certain, what you propose, to a certain harmonization by competition, which is in a positive way. Yeah, I mean, I think if the OECD doesn't sort of stand in the way and entrench the, these rules, uh, I think the most successful countries will, over time, uh, determine that the corporate income taxes uh, is is not the the best way to fund their governments. You've seen, um, I mean, the United States cut our rate from thirty five to twenty one. You see the success of, of of Ireland keeping their rate relatively low. The taxes still can bring in some revenue to support uh, operations. But we see over time, lower rates are actually the way to, uh, to sort of limit a lot of this gamesmanship instead of adding new uh, new, uh, new penalties and new tax systems on top of uh, the ones we have, like the OECD is proposing. Um, instead, we should be uh, reducing the, in- the underlying incentive to play games. And that's uh, when you do that by reducing tax rates. Uh, there were also done some studies on the German universities where they say that lower rates would actually increase tax income. Yes, yeah, so it depends on sort of where you, where you are on on the Laffer curve, but I think particularly with uh, uh, distor- high distortionary corporate income tax rates, other taxes that fall on capital income, um, you can certainly make up a lot of the lost revenue by by lowering rates. Um, and in uh, cases like uh, like like Ireland, you see the lower rate leads to lots of inbound profit shifting. So companies uh, move their assets to your location because you're the most attractive place to do business. And that can also bring in sort of significant additional revenue. In light of the challenges and concerns associated with the OECD's global tax plan, what alternative strategies or policies would you recommend for countries seeking to enhance the economic and, f- and fiscal environments rather than committing to the OECD's framework? Yeah, so we've, I think this is a, a, a good question because it touches on a lot of the things that we've already, uh, we've already mentioned uh, and that the, I think the OECD framework is more fragile than people let on and that if countries say, sort of stand up and say, no, we don't actually want this uh, tax cartel layered on top of our domestic tax systems that puts that creates a system by which other countries uh, will be able to agitate for new taxes or higher taxes beyond what is being proposed. It allows um, other countries to reach inside my borders and tax my con- company's productive activities. If, if domestic politicians choose to for example, have a research and development tax credit that lowers uh, lowers effective tax rates below the 15%. And so I, I've been encouraging policymakers here in the United States, and I would encourage uh, folks elsewhere around the world to instead play the game that the OECD is trying to stop. We should be, le- countries should be leaning into the tax rate competition game uh, tax rate. We should be cutting tax rates to fifteen percent or, or or lower. We should um, be expanding investment incentives like full expensing, being able to write off the full cost of investment um, in the year it's made. Uh, and in uh, and 
in pulling back on the targeted subsidies that attract businesses simply because they want the government handout and not because they're uh, pursuing productive activity. And that I think that this continuing to compete on the margins that make economic sense is the way to undercut the the, the OECD plan. That if enough, enough countries say, no, this is we don't want to institutionalize an already broken tax system that is not well equipped to tax the the sort of modern modern economy. That uh, that this whole system that they've constructed uh, ultimately starts starts falling apart, uh, and, and and that is maybe a, a a wishful goal, but it's I think the the right one that policymakers should be should be pursuing. Okay, and I think this is, oh, what do you think, but it's maybe an unfair question, what, what do you think that chances are for such countries to, uh, to get through with such policies? Because some of the very established countries, they want to maintain their, their, their goals. It's a very sort of conserving thing and, and, and not really a growth strategy. Yeah, I think that this is the this is the concern. You have enough countries that that band together and impose these sort of one size fits all uh, race to the most destructive tax system rules. You uh, uh, and it, we could be sort of stuck with it for forever. And so now is the time for policymakers to to speak up and. I mean, the election in the U.S. is is still ahead of us, but I think there's a world in which Republicans are in the driver's seat for some of these conversations, and the and many of the law the changes that the OECD is being or is proposing would have to go through the the House and the Senate would have to actually be changes in law, and that's a pretty high bar, especially in in the U.S. where that we have divided government, and uh, and so. My hope is that folks will realize um, over the next year or two that these uh, that that there isn't going to be universal adoption of the idealized OECD plan and the sort of most destructive features of the of, of Pillar Two, particularly the extraterritorial sort of enforcement mechanisms that uh, that that make the whole system really economically destructive will be paired back or selectively enforced so that the worst world that the OECD could bring about doesn't actually um, doesn't actually happen and then it's uh, and then it's a game of seeing if trying to roll back these proposals piecemeal um, so I don't know what the probability of that is but that's uh, that's my hope is that countries will ultimately come to their senses and and realize that this is not a productive path uh, for sort of economic growth writ large or ultimately their, their the the amount of revenue that they otherwise uh, would be able to raise. So thank you. I think this is a very good conclusive statement. Thank you so much. And I think it was a, a very interesting conversation we had and uh, and we highly appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, well, thank you for having me uh, having me on. And uh, I think this is an incredibly important issue that is really is comp- is complex and it's often in the weeds, but will have uh, really significant impacts on 
global economic uh, investment and trade and is not something that folks should uh, take lightly. This was GIS founder and chairman Prince Michael of Liechtenstein interviewing tax policy expert Adam Michel. We hope this episode helped you to understand the implications of tax policies. For more forecasts, please check out our website at gisreportsonline.com or follow us on social media. Music